Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Over the next few minutes, I'd like to share uh, what I would call a lot of scripture with you today. Uh, they'll all be projected up on the screen behind me from uh, the New King James Version. And I think the, the, it's very appropriate, the topic today, because I want to talk about the Kohanim, the priesthood, the Kunas called in Hebrew. And I want to dovetail what I'm saying now with a scripture I shared over there during the Torah reading, and that's from the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. It says, and every priest, every Levitical priest, or Hebrew word is Kohen, every Levitical priest stands, notice it's present tense, stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, and will you say those next six words which, with me together, which can never take away sins. Now, just time out for a moment. Think about that. There you are, if you were back in the first century at the temple, the Beit HaMikdash in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, and you were offering up these sacrifices, and you realized this was an ongoing process. Every single day you did the same thing. Then Yom Kippurim or Yom Kippur comes and again the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, enters into the Holy of Holies and, and offers up the sacrifice knowing that the very next year you'd have to do the same thing again. And then the year after that, you'd have to do the same thing again. And the year after that, you'd have to do the same thing again. Because as the book of Hebrews says, these things could never take away sins. So the, Levit the text tells us from Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 10, that the priests were offering these daily sacrifices and to emphasize the idea of daily, day in and day out, they were doing these things, but yet these sacrifices were not able to remove sin. And I can't help but think of a passage that's in Yeshayahu, Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, and I'd encourage you if you get a chance to read the context of this because it's even more potent than these words here. The very first chapter of Isaiah, it says, verse 11, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? This is the divine question. God asking this question, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? And I don't know how you would express this if you were saying it, but he says, I have had enough. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I've had enough. 
And then the statement is, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. And thankfully, if you're familiar with Yeshayahu, Isaiah chapter 1, you know that that's not the end statement here, what I just read, that it goes forward. And when you get to verse 18, you have these very hopeful words. On one hand, in verse 11, he's saying, I've had enough of these sacrifices. And, but then in verse 18, just a few verses later, a few words later, he says, come now and let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So on one hand, he says, I've had enough of your sacrifices. But on the other hand, he says, I am going to cleanse you. Ultimately, Adonai kept his word. He kept his word by providing atonement through the shed blood of Yeshua, our Messiah, who gave his life willingly for us. His blood avails for us. His blood was shed for us. And until the temple was destroyed in the year 70 in Jerusalem, the work of the Kohanim, the priesthood, kept going and going and going. As we just read in the book of Messianus Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 11, daily they kept doing the same thing over and over again. And yet there's this prophetic word repeated in a number of places. I just chose Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11 to express that God said, for what purpose is all this? But yet he says, I'm going to provide atonement for you. It's as if he's saying, I'm going to do something that you could never do for yourself. And does God act like that? Does he behave like that? Does he do things for us that we can never do for ourselves? Yes. Because frankly, no human being could save his or her own soul. What would you give? So God intervened. God sent his son, Yeshua HaMashiach. He sent his son whose blood avails for us. There, he provided atonement. And yet the Kohanim, the priesthood, continued working. And it's as if God was daily showing them as they did their work. And I'm sure some of them got it. Some of them realized this, that all their efforts that they were doing and all their works could not remove the sin, the blight of sin from their souls, the marring of sin upon their souls, that their own works couldn't do it. And that even on Yom Kippur, this sacrifice, so important for us even to this day, the Yom Kippur liturgy is very important for us in Judaism. It's known that in synagogues around the world, you may have Jewish people that don't attend the temple at all during the year, but they're there on Yom Kippur. And some will fast on Yom Kippur. They may not attend at other times. But this sacrifice, this Yom Kippur sacrifice, that we'll encounter, if you read the book of Vayikra Leviticus, you'll encounter this sacrifice. When we get to Leviticus chapter 16, it'll be spelled out for us. What was the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, to do during Yom Kippur? And yet, by the year 70, up to the time when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, the priest kept going and going and going. Sacrifice after sacrifice. 
blood after blood, grain offering after grain offering, going and going and going, repeated every year. Some of them knew that something wasn't quite connecting with the divine, with Hamakom, with the Lord. Those with spiritual perception at the time of Yeshua in the first century, those Kohanim, those Leviim, those Levites, they understand there were some, and I'm going to point this out to you in just a moment, there were some of them in the first century that actually got what we're talking about right now. And they recognized, they realized that all their efforts that they were doing in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple, all their efforts weren't, weren't really hitting the mark. And there was something in them crying out for more. What is your answer? What's the divine solution to the sin trauma? Hebrews chapter 10 again continues. So read verse 11 again. Hebrews 10 verse 11 through 14 Again, it says, and every Levitical priest or Kohen stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. The same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And then solution is pointed out, but this man, this Yeshua, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Is that you today? Have you placed your trust in Yeshua the Messiah? If you have, that sanctification process is happening to you and his blood avails for you. Most of the Levitical priesthood in the first century did not recognize who Yeshua was when he suddenly appeared in his temple. They didn't recognize who he was. They didn't understand why he came. Why did he come to Israel at that time? Most of them didn't get it, but some of the Leviim, some of the Levites did. I want to mention two of the Levites that got it in the first century. They knew the sacrifices were going and going and going and the same one over and over again, but they seemed to get it. They seemed to recognize the divine plan. And two of the most well-known, and there are others that are actually named in Scripture, you would recognize their name. The first one is Yohanan Matbil, John the Immerser. He was a Levite. And the other one was Matatiyahu, Matthew, the writer of the Besorah, the gospel. His surname was Levi. They seemed to know what was going on. They, these came out. They realized, wow, Yeshua is the answer to the dilemma of sin and wickedness. And John was point blank. Yohanan Hamatbil, John the Immerser, he was point blank in his statements about Yeshua. I mean, some of the most direct statements we find about Yeshua come from him. For example, in Yohanan, John chapter 1, verse 29, here's what it says. It says, the next day Yohanan saw Yeshua coming toward him. He saw Yeshua coming toward him and he said, behold... Take note, make sure you get this. Behold, 
the Lamb of God, and notice this next phrase, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yochanan's father, the text tells us, was involved in the, the, the whole uh, priestly secession in and out of guarding the temple and being involved in temple worship. And John recognized Yeshua coming toward him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. And he says this, who takes away the sin of the world. How many of you agree that he had some revelation? He got it. He was a Levite who knew who Yeshua was. He also continued in verse 34 of John chapter 1. He says, he says, and I have seen and I've testified that this is Ben Elohim. This is the Son of God, the Mashiach. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A little bit later, he says, this is the, this is the Ben Elohim. This is Mashiach. Yeshua is the Messiah. And later on, notice this in John chapter 12, verse 42 and verse 43. They weren't the only two Levites who understood who Yeshua was, that he was the Messiah, that he was the one that really took away the sin, not those sacrifices that their family were involved in repeating over and over again, day in and day out, Yom Kippur to Yom Kippur. In John chapter 12, verse 42, we read, nevertheless... Even among the rulers, many believed in Yeshua. Even among the rulers. But, but because of the Prushim, the Pharisees, they did not confess him. But because of the Prushim, the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. And then there's this little comment for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And despite all the efforts to, to squelch or drown out or stop the Levites and rulers among the people from believing in Yeshua, we read in Acts chapter 6 verse 7 a fascinating passage. It says, then the word of God spread and the number of the Talmudim, the disciples, multiplied greatly. Where? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. The number multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And then there's this statement. And a great many of who? The Kohanim. A great many of the Kohanim were obedient to the faith. So as much as they tried to stop this, many people realize on one hand they have all these sacrifices going on, but you have to keep going back because you can't seem to be free from the deepest recesses of sin in your life. And they realized Yeshua was the one who laid down his life for our, our sin. And notice it says, a great many of the Kohanim, the priest, it says they were obedient to the faith. I like how it says that. They were obedient to the faith. That tells me, and perhaps you, that we need to be obedient to the faith. And not be afraid to tell others about our faith, our trust in Yeshua. So although the offering of the prescribed sacrifice continued going on, 
and it was a critical aspect of Levitical work, what they were required to do, what God had ordained them to do, and if we could use the term, had anointed them to do, although that was still going on, there were still a significant number of the Levites that knew who Yeshua was. In a parallel way, if you are a follower of Yeshua, you are called to fulfill what I would call a multifaceted priest-like role in this day and age. A multifaceted priest-like role in and through your life. Notice how Kepha, Peter, expresses this in First Kepha, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He wrote this, he said, you are a chosen generation. He said, you are a royal priesthood, kuhuna. You're a holy nation. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, this passage is not saying, it's not saying that believers in Yeshua are, are now the Levitical priest. It's not saying that. This is not a replacement thing going on. More or less, it's a parallel. It's a parallel of what we see the Levites were doing back as we read Leviticus, as we read about what happened in the Berit Chadashah up to the destruction of the temple. We have some parallels going on as believers in Yeshua. Things that we should be doing. In the very next verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For you once were not a people, but are now the people of God. You once had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. How many of you are glad that God is merciful? I am. I am glad he's merciful. Because sin causes a separation between us and the holy God. And we have all sinned and we've all come short of his calling on our life. We each need atonement. We need the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We need Yeshua in our lives. And this text from 1 Peter that says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light shows what a high calling is upon those of us who are believers in Yeshua. There's a high calling. It's parallels the priesthood of the Levites, the Mosaic priesthood as it's called. And I believe we should humbly and gratefully accept the priest-like, the Kohen-like calling that's upon our lives. Not back away from it, but press into it. Knowing that before, before we were redeemed by Yeshua the Messiah, we were distant from God. We were in the domain of darkness. Some of us know from our own lives that we can look back in our lives and we say, wow, I used to be way out there. And I'm so thankful that God saved me through his son Yeshua and delivered me from that path. There was a way that seemed right to me, but the end thereof was death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Yeshua the Messiah to those who trust in him and believe in him. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says that many of us were, how were we? We were without Messiah. We were 
aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, totally estranged from Israel. We were strangers from the covenants of promise. We were having no hope and we were without God in the world. That's where we came from. But the reality that's connected, that's connected to the efforts of the Levitical priesthood that they went through day in and day out, the things that they went through, their reality went far beyond just the daily offering of sacrifice. And I want to mention to you in conclusion, I want to mention seven major roles, seven major roles to aspire to within the Messianic community. Seven major roles that connect with the role of the priesthood, the Kohanim, back at the time of Moses. And let me explain the first one so you, you, you get the gist of what I'm trying to express to you. Major role number one that the Levites had and we have also. We don't replace them, it's parallel. Major role number one is that our role is that of being representatives of the Lord. Levitical priests were to represent the Lord throughout that community. We see when Yeshua healed the lepers, he said to them, go to the priests. Let them see you've been healed. They stood ministering at the temple they at times were asked to do other things, but our role parallels theirs. We're representatives of the Lord. We're called to represent Adonai and his glory wherever we go. The New Covenant tells it this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Many of you have this verse memorized. It says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we're called to glorify the Lord. We represent him in our lives. You represent him at your workplace. You represent him at your school place. You represent him as you are going around the town at the shopping place or driving. You represent him. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, I therefore, the prison of the Lord, I beseech you. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I beseech you, strong language. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The Kohanim under the Levitical priesthood, they stood as representatives of the Lord. My friends, if you name the name of Yeshua, you stand as a representative of the Lord. A second major role Major role number two that we see a parallel with the Levitical priesthood but also with us who know the Messiah. That's our role as shomrim. The word shomrim, it's plural form, means watchmen, guardians, depending on the, the context of the use of that word, the shomrim. Uh, God, one of the names for the Lord is shomer Israel, the keeper of Israel. We're called to be shomrim, guardians, watchmen, and so must we be. The Levitical priests, they weren't to wander to and fro seeking so-called new and exciting revelations and truths. 
They were plugged into what God was doing, trying to be. They were to remain firm in their foundational beliefs. They were called to be Kohanim, and so they functioned. And we must be firm in our beliefs concerning Yeshua. And thankful for the word of God, for his word to us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then verse 17, we don't want to forget verse 17, that the man or that person who calls the name of the Lord, the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, Whoever transgresses, please notice this, and does not abide in the doctrine of Messiah, and does not abide in the doctrine of Messiah, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Messiah has both the Father and the Son. And I've seen over the years many people stray off. They think, well, I don't need Yeshua anymore. I'm enlightened. I have new revelation. <laughs> it's sad. But major role number two is that we are to be like Shomrim ourselves and make sure that we're firmly planted. And here's major role number three, which I alluded to during the Torah reading. Major role number three is our role as servants. Levitical priests, they were to be God's servants among the people. They worked hard. You know, offering sacrifices was not an easy task. It was a difficult task. It was a laborious task. Can I say it this way? It was a bloody task. It was not a pleasant task. But they were to be God's servants in the middle of what they were doing. They were to work for godly purposes, and so should we. They were to work for the good of the community, and so should we. Because ultimately, it's not really about you or me. It's about our Messiah. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Yeshua, what does it say? Seek those things which are above. Why are we mired so often in worldly things? Seek those things which are above. Where Yeshua is sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2 says, set your mind on things above. How many of you can honestly say that sometimes your own thinking gets you in trouble? I'm putting both hands up on that one. Your own thinking, your own thought process hurts you. And we're, we're commanded in Romans 12, 1 and 2 to present ourselves a living sacrifice, to have renewal of our thought processes. In Colossians 3, we're told to set your mind, your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And then verse 3 is quite strong. For you died. You died and your life is hidden with Messiah and God. Where do we find true life? As we follow our Messiah, true life comes forth. You die, your life is hidden with Messiah and God. And when Messiah, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's much more to say about 
Major role number three that parallels Levitical priesthood, and that's servants. But here's major role number four of seven. Major role number four for us as believers in Yeshua, if you are a believer, this is a role you must play, is our role as worshipers. There's so much to say about this, I'm not going to, but I'm going to say a couple of things. First of all, the Levitical priests were to be worshipers of God. They were to offer him praise. By the time of King David, there were whole entourages of people that would ascend up the, uh, with Shereh Malot, the songs of ascension, and sing as they went up into the temple area at the time of David and Solomon. They were to offer him praise. When we gather here on Shabbat morning, it's an opportunity to lift your voice to the Lord. Now, you can do that in the middle of the mall if you want. He may get a few uh, askance views of you. But here, we can gather. We can sing joyfully to the Lord. We can lift our praises to the Lord. We can offer him thanksgiving from a pure heart with people that have the same mentality. And we're to do that at all times. In every circumstance, how many of you have found that challenging to do it at all times? To do it when you're not feeling well to praise the Lord. To do it when your bank account's getting a little low, to thank God, to praise the Lord, to ask him for his intervention. To do it when you're cross with someone that you love or you have a, 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 an issue with someone that you're near to and to be able to still thank God somehow, to be able to hear his voice, to be able to respond to his call on you. It says in Tehillim and Psalms, at all times I will praise you. Your praise shall continually be in my mouth. Boy, there's a big difference between praising God with your mouth and using expletives with your mouth. Big difference before the Lord. Concerning worship, this major role we play that parallels what the Levites did, we have to marvel at what Yeshua said to the Samaritan woman. Of all people, the Samaritan woman. In Yochanan, in John chapter 4, verse 22, Yeshua is speaking to her. And he says to her, you worship what you do not know. And he says to her, we know what we worship. <laughs> and then he makes this statement, for salvation is of the Jews. And where did Yeshua come from? He was a son of David. He was from the Jewish people. He was the prophesied Messiah who was to come. But then he doesn't stop there talking to the Samaritan woman. He says in verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is. It's arrived. It's here. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit. And what's that last word? Truth. Truth. Again, there's much to say about that, but let me press on to major role number five that we have as believers that parallels what the Levitical priesthood did. Major role number five is our role as discerners. Discerners. 
Levitical priests, the Kohanim, they were to be discerning in their judgments and their decisions. They had to be discerning. For example, it's a practical thing, but at Passover time, when Josephus, the historian, the Jewish historian, tells us that millions of people came into Jerusalem during Passover week to offer up the Passover sacrifice, the Pesach, the Levitical priest had to discern if that lamb that was being presented for sacrifice was actually, can I use the word, kosher? Were the people just bringing their leftover lamb? Were they bringing the lamb that was really not very good? Blemished lamb? When the criteria was to bring a lamb without blemish. So the Kohanim, the priesthood, before they could offer that sacrifice, they had to discern, is this guy, and and the pun is intended, is this guy trying to pull the wool over my eyes here? Or is he legit? And the lamb he's presenting. They were to be impartial in all these matters. We're told that they became very partial later on. By the time of Malachi, very partial. We're told also, though, in the New Covenant, Peter says this to Cornelius, the Roman centurion. He makes this incredible truth revealed. He reveals it. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, he says, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. The Torah tells us that. The Torah will tell us as we read further into it. The Torah tells us that if a rich person comes and they present a case to you, you shall not be partial to them. It also says if a poor person comes, you shall not be partial to the poor person. It says you shall judge with righteous judgment. Kepha says, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality Verse 35 of Acts chapter 10 continues, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted to him. It's accepted by him. Major role number five was to be discerning and we must be discerning also. Make sure we make righteous judgments in our judgment. Major role number six, this is a very important one. Levitical priesthood served as uniters. They were to be uniters. How do we conclude that? Well, the people gathered towards them, and they were to be uniters. That's what makes the rebellion of Korah so terrible, because he was a Levite. And rather than uniting the people, he was dividing the people. And as the book of Proverbs says, there are a couple of people that God hates, and one of them is those that cause discord and division among the brethren. It says God hates that person. He doesn't like that person. That person's on the wrong side of him. Levitical priests were to be uniters of the people under the kingship of the Lord, and were to be uniters. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says, says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then it says, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. And it continues from there. 
They were to be uniters. And I'll say, take that one seriously, because when a person causes division in a believing group, they're on the wrong side of God. You have to be careful with that. And lastly, and I'll conclude with this, major role number seven. (laughs) Our role that parallels the role of the Levitical priesthood. Major role number seven is our role as vessels of God's love. The idea was that the people of Israel would see the Kohanim, the priesthood, and they would think about how much God loves them. God had placed them in there. They were serving. It was all God-ordained. God's the one who placed the Levitical priesthood and their points of service that they had and their points of authority. And we're to be vessels of God's love. You know, it really is a common misperception that the truth of God's love is only revealed in the new covenant. I've met people that thought that. They thought, well, you know, everything that came up before the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, really wasn't about love. I would beg to differ. <laughs> In actuality, God showed his love over and over again for Israel, for those, for widows, for orphans, for those who were downtrodden. God showed his love and his care for them over and over again. Many times in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, God shows his love. And God tells us that we are to love him and to love our neighbor. Says all the Torah is, is there it is. Love him and love our neighbor as ourselves, as we've already mentioned here prior in the service. And the Kohanim, they were to be lovers of God. Lovers of God above all else. What they did, what they their functions, all that they were doing, they were to do because they love God. And if they claimed that they were lovers of God, they would show that to be true through their love of his people. So in this sense, the Brit Hadashah, the new covenant, is the ultimate revealer of God's love. We see it, it the word God's love and love occurs back in the Torah. But we see the ultimate revelation in the new covenant. For example, in 1 Yohanan, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, By this we know love, because Yeshua laid down his life for us. I don't know how that rings to you, but to me that says love. That Yeshua the Messiah willingly gave his life for us, that's love. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, And then it says this, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Wow, that's a big step. It's one thing to recognize God loves us and sent his son to die for us. Yeshua willingly laid his life down. It's another step to be able to express God's love to fellow human beings, especially when they're not that nice to us. Or especially if we think they don't like us. Or especially if we feel they're in opposition to us. That's a difficult task. But we read also in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, through verse 11, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, 
And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. And then there's one of the simplest definition of who God is in the next four words. For God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And in this is love. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I would ask you to bow your heads, if you would, as we close in prayer and dismiss with the ironic benediction. Take a moment, do a little inventory, and think about your priestly role. Are you upholding as well as you can being a representative of the Lord? Are you upholding being discerning? Are you upholding being an expressor of his true love to others. Let's just take a moment, do a little spiritual inventory, and then we'll dismiss. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you need to ask him for his help. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to use you even more. Lord, we look to you this, this day, this Shabbat. Ask, O oh Lord, that you would show yourself in our lives, that we would be a true royal priesthood, not replacing the Levites, but parallel because of your redemption. Lord, I pray for every person here and ask that you would touch every life from the youngest to the oldest. Thank you, Lord, for this Shabbat, that you are the Lord of the Shabbat. And thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son, Yeshua HaMashiach, for us. It's in his name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.